You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Man, that's so good, so good. Well, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Matthew 26. And we are continuing in the book of Matthew. We're getting close to the end. We're getting close to the culmination of the gospel story. And this morning, we're going to see a vivid, a vivid, beautiful text. It's just a privilege to be able to unfold it for us as a church. We know as human beings that symbols are very, very important, right? A lot of different examples in our lives. The primary one I always think of is is a wedding ring, right? Um, A wedding ring is a symbol. It doesn't make me married, but it's a sign that I am married. It's not magical. If somebody puts this on, it doesn't make them married. But when you see it on my finger, it's a sign that I am married right? And I have to receive that in a ceremonial way, in a, in like in, a, in a wedding ceremony. You receive that ring, and when you receive it, it kind of makes it official, right? You feel that? You think about uh, the flags that we see maybe in the Olympic opening ceremonies, right? The flag is not the country. It's a symbol of the country. Like when in a tragic funeral, Uh, a mother of a fallen soldier receives that flag. It's a symbol that says our country is very thankful for the sacrifice of your son. Right? You could think of a signature. You buy a house, you sign all these documents, right? And the signature is not you, but it's a representative of you, right? Right? And you have to receive those documents and give those documents and have them received by the mortgage company or whatever to make that official, right? The reception of the symbol is a really big deal in in the way that we operate as human beings in lots of different contexts. And we're going to see that come alive, the reception of a symbol. We're going to see that come alive this morning in this text in, in a powerful, powerful way, all right? It's the literal reception of the gospel. Let's dive in. Look at verse 17 of chapter 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will we have, where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So what's the repeated word here? You see it? It's Passover. Three times. And so we have to understand this morning, for all of this to come alive, we have to understand what was the Passover. Why was it a big deal for these ancient Jewish guys? 
See, the Passover sets the stage for everything we're going to see in the rest of our text for this morning. So some of you might be new to your Bible, so let me just give you the quick overview. What's the Passover all about? Well, he's, we're talking about, and they're thinking about, what happened many, many centuries before this text took place in ancient Egypt. And God's people were slaves in ancient Egypt. And God raised up this guy named Moses, and he said to Moses, I want you to go and tell the most powerful man in the world, his name is Pharaoh, I want you to tell him, you better let my people go. You have to let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he, and, he, and he just would not let these people go. There were 10 plagues. You've heard of a lot of them. Darkness and the, and the Nile River turned to blood. Well, the final plague was the death of the firstborn son. All the firstborn sons in Egypt were condemned to die. It was the wrath of God poured out on those who did not trust God's word, namely Pharaoh. But God made a way of salvation. God made a way of salvation. He said, what I want you to do, if you've got ears to hear, and you're willing to listen to God's word and God's promises, here's what I want you to do, my people. I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slay it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and, and put it over the post of your door. I want you to literally put it on your house. And I'm going to send my angel of death. And my wrath will be poured out. But all those homes that have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they will be saved. So take note, it wasn't just the Egyptians it was the Egyptians and God's people, the Israelites. They had to listen by faith and act upon it. Or their firstborn would be killed. You had to listen to God's word with faith and act upon those words. Hear the word, believe it, do what it says, and you will be saved. My words, you can trust them. Take the blood of the lamb, put it on the door. So the ancient Jewish person, they had to participate by faith. The angel of death will pass over your house when they see the blood of the lamb. Wrath of God will be removed when, they, when, when, when they're seen the blood of the lamb. So this moment right here, the Passover, it led to the pinnacle event in all the Old Testament. The salvation of God's people. And you hear it over and over. The echoes of it radiate through the Old Testament. Our God is the one who rescued us from Egypt. Remember the God who took you out of Egypt. And this Passover is the foundational event that the Old Testament calls up when it wants to make a case for God being one who saves, one who can be trusted. The Passover event where God spared his people through the blood of a lamb is the event that started a chain of events that would lead to God's people out of slavery and into salvation. And so, year after year, centuries later, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, 
hey, we're, you know, we're Jewish, obviously. Where are we going to celebrate this Passover? Because this is what we do. We can't just, it's like skipping Christmas for us. You don't skip Christmas, right? You don't skip Easter. These guys, they don't skip the Passover. It's a huge deal, right? God sparing his people when his people trusted his word and put the blood of the lamb over their homes. That's the scene, right? That's the backdrop here, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12, his disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, it is, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. <clears throat> There's a, so much we could dive into here um, that we just don't have time for today, but here's what I want you to see from this section. <clears throat> Jesus is basically telling his closest friends, those that he's poured into for three years, guys, you're weak, you're fragile. You're sinners. Like sin is real. Betrayal is real. Abandonment when the need is the greatest is, is real. Like within, like feel this, see this. Within the beauty of this celebration of Passover and, and the world-changing statements, literally history is going to hinge in this moment that we're going to see in a second. In the midst of that beauty, in the midst of that unbelievable promise that, that they're going to receive in a second, there's still the chaos of sin present. There's still the chaos of sin present. Like, don't miss this. God is going to usher in and reveal his, his cosmic plan of redemption for the whole world from eternity past it's been planned. It's going to come in space, time, and history right here in this moment. <clears throat> and God says, I'm going to use sinners to do that. You guys who are, are weak and frail, and one of you is going to betray me in the, in the worst possible way. Peter, you're going to deny me? Like, God's plan is still moving forward even when there is chaos of sin infecting their community. See, in my mind, this is how I think. Like, Jesus, can't you usher in this grand revelation of your salvation coming to pass in the world with some people who are a bit more put together? Right? Like, Jesus, can't you find some guys who don't betray you and deny you? Jesus, can't we just start over with some dudes who actually can do what they say they're going to do? Like, you still want to move forward with this plan and use these men who are so messed up? You're going to use these guys to build your church and plant churches among neighbors and nations? But that's the mystery of how God works, right? 
Like God's using messed up guys back then and he's still using messed up guys today. Right? Sinful, weak, fickle people like us. So don't let this be lost on you. He, he tells his guys that betrayal is alive and well among them in their hearts, and he still allows them to participate and be used by him and receive the forgiveness that he's about to offer for those who receive it. I want you to see the staggering mercy of God. Can you see that this morning in God's word? Can you see that? And now we're going to see it most vividly. Now we're going to see it most vividly. Look at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what are we to make of this passage? There's three things I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see the centrality of Jesus' death. The centrality of of Jesus' death. Jesus is making something primary. He wants to bring something into the center of their focus, the centrality, and it's his death. His death, right? So many centuries before, what was the focus? The focus was the lamb, the lamb that was slaughtered, right? And the door was put over there, and the blood was put over the door of their house, but Jesus is doing something different in this new and final Passover. He's redoing it. He's remaking it with himself as the center. He's saying, don't focus on that lamb anymore that, you're do- that you've been doing traditionally from the Old Testament. No, no, no. He's saying, I want you to focus on me now. He's saying, I'm the true and final lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like we're not talking about lambs and, and ritual sacrifices anymore. Those days are over. All those centuries, year after year after year, are finally culminating in this moment right here in this text. You feel that? Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus says, the culmination is here. I am the culmination. Focus on me. Feel the centrality of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, what does he say in the words? This is my body. The focus is on Jesus. It's not on the sacrificial lamb anymore. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. This is my blood. Not the blood of a sacrificial animal. Those those days now are over. So the first thing, see the centrality of Jesus in this. This is my blood. This is my body. Second, Jesus is calling attention to himself and he's calling attention to the purpose of his death. 
So centrality of his death, but what's the purpose of his death? He tells us in verse 28, look at it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. Why? For forgiveness. See it? Why is his blood poured out? Why is his body broken? For the forgiveness of sins. The purpose of Jesus' death is forgiveness. The purpose of Jesus' death is forgiveness. What does that say? What does that say about our lives? It says we need it. We need it. He knows that. But again, you got to think about the context that they're in. The old way of, of God granting forgiveness for century after century before this moment right here was that forgiveness was granted when God's people believed by faith that when God said, take this sacrificial animal and slay it, I'm going to simply receive that as the substitute on your behalf. And they did that century after century, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And they acted by faith and did what God said and killed the animals and God forgave their sin. But now, but now, Jesus says that forgiveness comes in a different way. Like all those sacrifices, century after century, animal after animal, they were all pointing a big, huge spotlight. They were simply just foreshadowing to this moment right here in this text with these 12 guys in this upper room, in this house. The symbol of all those centuries of sacrifice is finding its reality in space and time right here in this text, and it's the new covenant. The new agreement based on a loving relationship. Forgiveness now comes not through the blood of animals, but it comes through the blood of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, substituting himself for sinners. The old way of doing things, it's now over. The culmination has come. There was the foreshadowing, and then there's the reality. The reality is here. Like, this is staggering if you see what Jesus is doing from the mindset of an ancient Jewish person. The covenant, there's a new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 31. There's coming a day when there'll be a new covenant and forgiveness of sins will be granted in a new way. So secondly, the purpose of his death is that forgiveness can be granted through him. Anyone who's willing to come. Anyone who's willing to come. Come and receive the blood of Jesus given on your behalf if you trust it with ears to hear. So the centrality of his death, the purpose of his death, and then finally, how do we respond to this? How is Jesus asking these guys to respond? How is he asking us to respond 2,000 years later? Well, what does he say? The response is, look, verse 26, take and eat it. He's saying, take, drink it. Like, like what is that? It's participation. He's saying, participate in this offering. 
Literally take it into your body. Again, Old Testament Passover. What do they do? They, they slay the lamb, they kill the lamb, and they eat it. They take it into their body. They hear God's promise of salvation and they act on it. <clears throat> kill the lamb, put the blood over, over your house, eat the lamb, and celebrate God's salvation. Right? They had to bring the promise of God into their actual bodies through eating and into their actual homes through, through blood on the door. They had to participate. They had to act on it by faith. So when they, when they ate that lamb, they were acting on a spiritual reality. They were literally receiving into their bodies a picture of the salvation of God. And Jesus' disciples, fast forward many centuries, are doing the exact same thing in this new Passover, this new way that God's wrath is removed and passes over his people. This new covenant, this new agreement based on a loving relationship is ushered in. This new way of doing things so that you can know for sure that your sins actually are forgiven. And that you're going to live with God forever. With no fear of judgment. With no fear of condemnation. Right? See, the bread and the wine that Jesus is doing right here in this text is a symbol that we receive into our bodies. He's asking these guys, receive it into your body. Reminding yourself that you're receiving this gift of salvation. When we take these elements into our bodies, it's a way of responding to the message of the gospel and saying, yes, I believe it, I want it, I need it, right? It's an outward symbol it's a dramatic outward symbol of a spiritual reality. Jesus, I trust you. I'll, I'll take it. Jesus, I need you. I'll take it. Jesus, I believe that your blood was shed so that mine didn't have to be. Jesus, I believe in the justice of God, that the, the wrath of God was poured out on you in my place. Jesus, I believe that you love me. I receive it. Jesus, I believe that your death and resurrection is all that I need to be made right with God and have your wrath removed from me. I believe that you're the final lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's what you're saying when you receive the bread and the wine. That's what was happening 2,000 years ago. It's still happening today. It's not some dead ritual that we're doing just because we're looking for things to fill the time within a service. This has pro profound impacts. It's a profound manifestation of the gospel in space and time and in your life. It's a vivid reminder of how needy we are and how great God is. So let's not forget that when we incorporate this into our bodies. It's, 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 a, it's one of the reasons why you don't want to do this if you don't actually believe it. Because it has such profound meaning. You want to understand what you're doing. And God takes his symbols very, very seriously. In closing, let's look at this last verse, verse 29. This is so good. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is some extreme darkness that these guys are about to experience. There is some extreme darkness that Jesus is about to experience. But look at what Jesus is doing. He's promising them that those moments of darkness, the darkest moments of their life, will not have the final word. You see that? You see what he's doing here? He's foreshadowing his resurrection. I don't even think the disciples probably even knew what he was talking about here, right? But look what he's doing. He's saying, we will have a future relationship. There's going to be a day when we break out this wine again, and we're going to celebrate. Because what? Because there's going to be a new kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns as King Jesus, right? He's saying, I'm promising you what you read about in the book of Revelation will come to pass. He says that to us. Church, believe it this morning. He's saying, we're going to be together again. There will be beautiful community again. We're going to pass through some hell on earth. But it will not have the final word. I mean, that's just a microcosm of the Christian life, right? All of us pass through things that are mind-bendingly challenging. I'm with you. I know what it's like. But the Christian hope is, what, what does it say here? You miss it if you don't slow down and think about it. He says, that day. I will, future orientation, I will drink again of this wine, fruit of the vine. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until what? Until that day. Then I will drink of it. But what is it? It's that day. That day. That day is coming. Right? That day is coming. It's not right now. They're going to walk through hell on earth right now. But three days later, he will rise again as a, as a down payment that what he says right here, it will come to pass. Your day of suffering, your day of darkness, it will not have the final word. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. See Matthew 26, 29. You feel that? That day, I want you to feel the future orientation of our faith and embrace the promises of God that will allow you to have perseverance in the midst of the chaos, amidst of the darkness, amidst of the storm. That day is coming. As sure as Jesus rose from the dead, you can be just as sure that that day is coming. And he promises to be with us in the midst of it. There will be another gathering of God's people. There will be another day of unending celebration. We pass through the fire now. And through the fire on the other side is rejoicing and celebrating. I mean, what does is, what is Paul write? Your mind can't even conceive of what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be here soon. 
Like our life is but a mist. And then we will eat and drink and celebrate and we foreshadow that right now. As we incorporate into our body the bread and the juice. And so all that to say, this sermon is just a big intro to the Lord's Supper. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son and sending your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you use weak people that deny you and are fearful to move your mission forward in this world. Lord, you are so gracious, you are so merciful, and the culmination of your mercy, we see it in what we've just participated in and received by faith. Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to that day when this will not be symbol, this will be reality. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, amen.